0: Section 19 of A History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume 3, by Henry Charles Lee. Book 7, Chapter 3, Part 2. The Galleys. Enslavement in the Galleys, to labor at the oar, would appear to be even more incongruous than scourging as penance for spiritual offenses. It was a Spanish device, unknown to the elder Inquisition, and had its origin in the thrifty mind of Ferdinand. We shall presently see how exercised were the monarch and his holy office over the problem presented by the maintenance of those condemned to the canonical penalty of perpetual prison, and Ferdinand, whose Sicilian possessions required a powerful navy Bethought him of the expedient of utilizing his able bodied prisoners to man his galleys, the galley propelled by oars being as yet the equivalent of the modern battleship. Galley service was recognized as so severe that the old fueros of Aragon forbade it under heavy penalties, except with the free assent of the individual, and it was not until the curtailment of ancient privileges, in the Cortes of Tarazona in 1592 that judges were permitted to use it as a punishment for robbers. In Castile, the pressure for slaves to man the galleys is indicated by a royal cedula of November 14, 1502, commuting the death sentence of criminals in the secular courts, and ordering them to be sent to the galleys. It was probably about this time that Ferdinand turned to the Inquisition, which was bound by no laws, for relief from overcrowded prisons and undermanned galleys. Even the callous morality of the age seems to have been shocked at this, and, as usual, the sanction of the Holy See was sought for the iniquity. It was of course granted, and Alexander VI, in a brief address to the Inquisitors, May twenty sixth, 1503, recited that Ferdinand and Isabella had represented to him that those condemned to perpetual prison relapsed into heresy, that there was a lack of prisons in which they could be confined without perverting others, and that multiplication of prisons would lead to dissemination of heresy, that their power to commute imprisonment into other perpetual punishment had been called into question, and that they had asked him to provide a remedy. As the chief solicitude of the inquisitors should be the prevention of relapse, He therefore empowered them to change the perpetual prison of penitence into other penalties, deportation to the colonies, or imprisonment in the royal galleys, where, in perpetual confinement, they might render enforced service, or to any other perpetual punishment, according to their quality and offenses. That full advantage was taken of this, there can be no doubt, to the relief of the prison funds, and the facilitation of the conquest of Naples. We chanced to hear of the transfer at Barcelona, January 24, 1505, of nineteen prisoners from the jail of the Inquisition to the galleys of Ramon de Cardona, which we may fairly accept as an example of what was on foot everywhere. In fact, the eagerness of the tribunals to disembarrass themselves of their prisoners seems to have led to their discharging on the galleys, those in every way unfit for the service, for the Suprema was obliged, in 1506, to declare that men over sixty, clerics and women, were exempt from the punishment of the galleys. Even Ferdinand himself, towards the close of his career, seems to have shrunk from the responsibility of openly authorizing an extension of this heartless business." For when, in 1513, the Inquisitor of Sicily asked permission to send to the galleys those condemned to perpetual prison, Ferdinand threw the decision back on him. To build prisons will cost much money, he said, but the galleys may deter men from confessing their heresy. The Inquisitor is therefore to think the matter over, and do what he deems best. The conclusion reached is unknown, but we may reasonably surmise that the Palermo tribunal did not waste its funds in constructing prisons. Ferdinand's hesitation seems to have been shared by Charles V, for in 1527 the Suprema ordered that penitents should not be sent to the galleys, but should have other penances. The motive for this humane provision, however, did not long withstand the more pressuring economical considerations. In 1529, Rodrigo Portuondo, captain-general of the galleys, was instructed that no one sent to them by the Inquisition should hold any office or administration, or have charge of the rations, showing that the prohibition had been rescinded. Apparently the superior intelligence of the penitents had rendered them more useful as petty officers and accountants than as slaves of the ore, But this alleviation of their misery did not satisfy the spirit of persecution, and it was probably to prevent it that the formula of the sentence was service at the oar without pay, unless indeed the penitent was of gentle blood, in which case he could be sent to serve as a gentleman or as a soldier. We have already seen to what profitable account the Inquisition turned the power which it had assumed to grant dispensations from this abhorrent servitude, and a case in 1558 indicates how it guarded against any invasion of its prerogative. Philip II was led to interest himself in the case of Andres de Frias, condemned to the galleys, and asked to have him dispensed from the remainder of his term. To this the Suprema demurred, saying that the statement of Frias was untrue, for in Rome he had treacherously stabbed to death the procurator of the Inquisition, Dr. Puente, after dining with him and promising to sup with him. Moreover, the seventeen months which he claimed to have served had not been as a galley slave as required by his sentence. Still, if he would present himself and manifest repentance, there might be opportunity for the king to show him mercy, but otherwise it would greatly impair the authority of the Inquisition. Philip was not given to interceding for those sent to his galleys, for galley slaves continued to be in great demand. In 1567, the Venetian envoy Antonio Tiepolo explains the weakness of the Spanish navy by the fact that its galleys were manned with slaves and horcots, who were not numerous enough to keep many galleys at sea it would be, he says, impossible to man them with free men, as in Venice, for no one would serve voluntarily, as the ill-treatment of the crews is notorious, and their dying for lack of the necessaries of life. It is true that there was a curious source of supply, besides the ordinary criminals and heretics, for the prelates of the religious orders were accustomed to condemn their peccant brethren to the galleys, from the same economical motive that had actuated Ferdinand, to save the expense of maintaining them in prison. Still, the needs of the armadas were pressing, Philip turned to the Inquisition for aid, and in 1567 the Suprema issued two decrees intended to assist in manning the royal galleys. One bore that sentences must not be for less than three or four years, for otherwise the penitents cost the king more than the service he got from them, and this was enforced by a royal cedula of 1584. The other suggested, suggested being equivalent to an order, that sentences to the galleys could be substituted for those to prison and San Benito. The practical deduction drawn from this is expressed by a writer of the period, who says that, If the accused confesses but does not satisfy the evidence, he is to be tortured, and if he still fails to satisfy the evidence, it is customary to send him to the galleys, but this must be for not less than three years. To appreciate fully this atrocity, it must be borne in mind that torture could only be used in cases of doubt where the evidence was defective, so that, Besides the torture, the victim was sent to the galleys for suspicion of heresy. Even this did not satisfy the royal exigency, and a further inexcusable step was taken. We have seen that tardy and imperfect confessions were visited with scourging and sometimes with the galleys, while the buen confitente, who confessed promptly and freely, was allured with promises of special consideration and mercy. Yet, in 1573, the Suprema issued a carta acordada ordering that conversos, even when buen confitentes, should be sent to the galleys, and this it repeated in 1591 with injunctions for its enforcement. The name of religion has not often been more brutally prostituted than in these provisions, and their success may be measured by a report of the inquisitors of Saragossa to Philip, of an auto celebrated June 6, 1585, in which they call his special attention to their zeal in furnishing him with twenty-nine galley slaves for six years, besides three left over from a previous auto, and this in Aragon, which forbade galley service as a punishment for the most heinous crimes. The galley captains naturally were not punctilious in discharging the men when their terms had expired, giving rise to perpetual friction. The sentence ordinarily was to a term of prison or exile, of which the first three years or more were to be passed at the oar, and this was set forth in the certificates given to the penitents. The tribunals kept watch over them, and demanded their return to serve out the rest of their sentences, but this was not an easy task. The vigilance exercised is illustrated by a royal cedula addressed to the captain of a galley, ordering him to release two men whose terms had expired, and warning him that in future all such persons were to be returned to the tribunal that had sentenced them. This was followed in 1568 by general instructions to Don John of Austria, as captain-general of the sea, and to all captains of galleys, reciting the complaints of the Sicilian tribunal that its reclamations of its penitents were not complied with, and ordering their restoration to their tribunals without waiting for demands. This was ineffectual, and in 1575 we find the Barcelona tribunal instructed to prosecute the captains who impede the discharge of those who had served out inquisitorial sentences. The trouble was perennial and in 1645 we have a formula of requisition for the return of the party specified under pain of excommunication and of five hundred ducats, and the tribunal of the port where the galleys lie is requested to see to its execution. A significant note, however, adds, that this is scantly courteous to such great men as the generals of the galleys, and that it is better to ask the tribunal of the port to procure the release by friendly negotiation. The cases could not have been infrequent in which men, utterly unfit for the privations and ill usage of the galley slave, were condemned to this hard service, and no doubt many perished in consequence, yet exceptions on this ground were reluctantly admitted if we may judge from a rebuke administered, in 1665, by the Suprema to the Barcelona Tribunal, in a case where this was asked. The opinions of the physician and surgeon were insufficient. Other professionals must be called in, and examination be made as to the penitent's condition, when, if it appears that he is unfit for the service, the sentence can be commuted to eight years of exile as proposed it is a marked expression of the humanitarian development of the 18th century, that, even in the fierce persecution of its first quarter, in 1721 it was ordered that, before imposing a sentence to the galleys, the delinquent should be examined by the physician and surgeon, and, if incapacitating weakness appeared, it should be mentioned in the vote of the consulta de fe that, in consequence of it, the sentence was commuted to irremissible imprisonment. The succeeding autos show that this bore fruit in sundry commutations, although the alternative of irremissible prison was not observed, and less severe penalties were sometimes substituted. In the 64 autos de fe between 1721 and 1727, of which we possess details, there were ninety-two sentences to the galleys, and seven to service in the presidios. There was a certain relation between the two. In the seventeenth-century legislation on offences connected with the coinage, the galleys were provided for commoners and presidio service for gentlemen, and, as the century drew to a close, we find the Inquisition no longer sending gentlemen to serve as soldiers on the galleys, but to Oran, Suta, Gibraltar, Badajoz, Peñón, and other royal works and garrisons. In the 18th century Inquisition, the galleys for all classes were gradually supplanted by the Presidio, if we include in the term enforced labour in the royal dockyards and arsenals, as well as in the African garrisons. Galleys were disappearing from the sea, and in the Inquisition they were superseded by the bagne in its various forms of hard work. In 1742 the Toledo Tribunal condemned Rafael Núñez Hernández, for certain errors, to eight years of exile, of which the first five were to be passed serving the king in the unwholesome quicksilver mines of Almadén, and the last sentences to the galleys that I have met occur in 1745, when Nicolás Serrano was condemned at Toledo for bigamy to eight years of service in them, and Miguel Gutiérrez and Francisco García at Valladolid for relapse into Judaism to ten years. After this, the galleys may be said to be obsolete even for bigamy, as is seen in a sentence of the Valencia Tribunal in 1781. The Presidio continued as a punishment under the Restoration, but cases were so rare that there was question as to the reception of the convicts in their places of destination. In 1818, the Seville Tribunal sentenced three persons, two for propositions and one for bigamy, to two years' service in Sutta or Malia, and it asked the Suprema to get the Minister of War to issue orders to the governors to receive them. The Suprema replied that this was the business of the tribunal it must do as on former occasions, and if necessary could write to the governors. The four were duly received, and it is pleasant to add that, in six months, the Suprema humanely remitted the punishment in order that they might return and support their families. For this an order from the Secretary of the Council of War was required and procured. For women, the equivalent of the galleys was service without pay in hospitals, houses of correction, and similar institutions. Apparently these female convicts were not always regarded as desirable inmates, and though, in the pre-revolutionary times, no opposition was ventured, under the Restoration there was sometimes difficulty in securing their admission. In 1819, the Seville Tribunal appealed to the Suprema, representing that it had been unable thus to dispose of Juana de Luna, for the same reasons which it had experienced in the cases of Ana Barbero and Leonor Macias. The Inquisition inspired no such terror as of old, for the Suprema could suggest no means of overcoming the difficulty, and could only instruct the tribunal to devise some method of executing its sentences. It is not to the credit of the Roman Inquisition that it followed the example of the Spanish, and included the galleys in its list of punishments. Carena, indeed, tells us that it was the most usual of all, and was the customary penalty in a wide variety of offences. End of section 19